listeners. You haven't heard a new episode from us in a while. Sorry. And before we started today's episode, we just wanted to take a second to apologize. Real life got in the way. Yeah, we had some moving happening. Got some, some recording going on right now. We're recording in my brand new house. Yeah. Um, so we just wanted to let you know that we now do have a backlog of three episodes and we will be placing them up every week through the new year. So we hope that you are ready and excited for books 33, 34, and 35. Yep. And we're happy to be back. Hopefully we'll be more regular now we're back in our rhythm. So keep listening for episode 33. Hi, welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 Books. The experts say you're supposed to die <laughs> before you read. The experts say you're supposed to die before you read. Hi, welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 Books the experts say you're supposed to read. <laughs> do you want me to do it? Do you want me to do it today? No, I got it. I got okay, it. Okay. I got it. Ooh, this will be fun for you to listen to later. <laughs> Hi, welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 Books the experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Chelsea. I am a lover of Harry Potter and any good book that's going to make me cry. And <laughs> and I'm Nicole, also lover of Harry Potter and every historical fiction book I can get my hands on. Yeah, that was a very hard intro this week, listeners. <laughs> Just so you know. Take number five. We're on it now. We're currently <laughs> sitting in Chelsea's condo, surrounded by boxes because she's moving in five days. <laughs> yeah. We have both moved in the last, like, this, this season, so... Um, it's a lot, but we're we're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so in this craziness, what have you been reading lately? Um, I started my throne of glass, um, by Sarah J. Moss reread because the new, the final book in the series came out last week as of this recording, but I am not going to buy that until I've done the whole reread. So I'm not tempted Mm -hmm. to read it. And so I'm on book four and I, I realized this is a second this is my third read through of these books and I like get just as absorbed as when I read like Harry Potter like I and I read them just as fast even though they're longer um and more books <laughs> are That's yeah. good. I'm on 3 with my read read cuz I kind of slowed down but Yeah. Yeah, what have you been reading? I've been reading um The Throne of Glass kind of slowly, but I've also been reading a book called One of Us is Lying by Karen McGannis, I think is her name. And she I don't think she's super famous, but this book was all over Goodreads a, a year or so ago and it's about four kids kind of like the Breakfast Club who get detention like but the fifth kid who's in detention five kids get detention. The fifth kid ends up dying while in detention with them. And then wow. there's, like, all the drama because then they're the suspects for who murdered him. Oh. And so it's it's really fluffy um, in that it's an easy read. It's obviously a YA book. It's, like, a murder mystery, but it's not really high suspense or anything. It doesn't um, have any, like, school shooting overtones? No, 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 no. He <laughs> dies because someone puts peanut oil, this you find out in the first 30 pages, in a cup that he drinks from in there, and then he has a peanut allergy. Oh. So it's not even it's not even like school shooting or any like triggery kind of things like that. It's like hmm. a murder uh, <laughs> by peanut allergy death. And it seems my my guess, I'm only 25 percent in. I think he killed himself, which is also very sad. But I feel like that's what it's going to turn into, which I don't know if I'll like that because that's really, really like a we- 
a weird approach to it, but that's what I'm feeling like where it hmm. might be going. So we'll see. It's interesting. It's light. It's fluffy. It requires zero brain power, which is exactly <laughs> what I need. Yeah, that's what you need during this moving season. You don't have to listen to Chronicles of Barset on audio while you're doing it like I had to. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish this week's book had been on audio. I think it would have made it more bearable for me. <laughs> well, let's talk about this week's book then. So this is book 33 in woo, our woo. podcast, and it's called The Mandarins by Simone de Beauvier. Um, it was originally- I think it's actually Simone de Beauvoir. Debove. Okay. Yeah, I think that's what it is. All right. Published originally in 1954, obviously in French. That's why we can't pronounce uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you had described this book in one word, what's your word? Post-war. And my word is communism. Common theme on the list, you guys. <laughs> Very common. Lots of communism, which is so interesting because communism really has only been a thing for the last, like, 150 80, years. 100 years. 150? Well, Karl Marx lived in the 1850s and 60s. Oh, True. But, like... Those ideas were out there. There just wasn't any country following them until the Russian Revolution, I think. Yeah. So, communism again. (laughs) Uh, I have lots to say about that. But first, let's give them the quick plot. So, a quick summary of this book is that a group of intellectuals in post-liberation Paris struggle to find their place, politically and personally, in a much-changed world. That's the plot. Yeah. Um, So, if you want to avoid spoilers i would stop listening now you can look in the show notes to see when to check back in honestly this book had a very like lots of different storyline kind of arcs going through it there's lots of characters um and so i don't think we're gonna be super spoilery because we can't remember half of their names but (laughs) this is a long so yeah so let's get into it this is a long book let's see here 620 610 pages pages. And we read it over a long time because it was definitely, it took me like, usually I can read like a hundred pages an hour and uh-huh. this, in this book, a hundred pages took me, um, two hours. Like it was, yeah, this it was really book slow. Is, yeah. It was very slow because it was very wordy. Dense. Yeah. Yeah. Dense. It was very dense. And, and what I noticed <laughs> is that I couldn't really focus on it for more than like 40 minutes at a time. Oh, me too. Anything yeah. longer than that. Yeah. I would, I would still be reading. But I would no longer be absorbing what I was reading. Yeah, I read the last hundred pages in one sitting yesterday, and it was so hard um, because it was just it was very political and like and very full uh, uh, philosophical, uh-huh. and it was just really hard to focus on it. Um, and I yeah, read really the last two hundred and I two hundred twenty two hundred thirty pages yesterday and i was telling nicole before we started recording i was like i don't remember what happened in those 230 pages i read them yeah but they just were (laughs) well i would say this is a book it's not as much about plot as it is about ideas Ideas. it's a book about ideas and that um but i think something important to know about this book is that um the author wrote it like on the quote on the back of my book it says from time magazine it says Anyone wanting to know what interesting people like Sartre, Albert Camus, Arthur Kostler, and others were thinking at the end of the world war about France, Russia, and the U.S., communism and life generally will find the answers in abundance. So she wrote this book basically about people she knew under, like, other names. Yeah. Um, and which is interesting. And I, of those authors, I know Albert Camus, he wrote The Stranger. I read mm-hmm. that in college. That's a book on the list. And I know who Sartre is, philo- philosopher. And he wrote that play, No Exit, but I've never read it. And I, the other guy, Arthur Costler, no idea who it is. And one of the characters is her. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh. And um, so everyone is kind of a picture of someone who was really in her life. And this was published in... 1954. So it wasn't that long after these events happened, really, at all. Um, So So you have to imagine that it was, like, kind of scandalous in her friend circle when it came out. Yeah, she published about it, yeah. Um, But it obviously was, like, her way of processing what was happening in that immediate post-war period, which I think gives it a pretty... It's raw, mm-hmm. like, um, which is an attractive quality in a book like this. I think all the books that we've read about World War II, um, that, like, this one, what was that? The one... Um, if This Is the, a Man? Yeah, the Concentrate Guy one. Yeah, mm-hmm. that were written in the 50s feel so cool compared to, um, like, other World War II fiction that I've read that was written way later because it feels so raw. Yeah, it's so much more recent and new for those authors, so they have a lot more of the feelings are real still, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Um, that is something I noticed in this book. I also noticed how it was, uh, I think because she was writing about people that she knew, I think she was able to write about flawed characters that seemed very real still because yeah, they, they were, were real. still real yeah, people. They were real. So all of the, none of the characters in this book are unflawed. Yeah, so they're, yeah. They're really human and really well developed, mm-hmm. and and unlikable, <laughs> you know, in a very real way. So I think that's something it's got going for it for sure. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of those ideas that we that this book because it's really a book about ideas over plot. So in this book, um, in France after the war. There was a lot of talk about communism versus capitalism versus fascism fascism and what was really going to happen. And the characters in this book are a part of a socialist party that um, shares some views with communism sometimes, but not because in the beginning they're like, they're not always at odds at communism. Mm um with communism but as a, it becomes more antagonistic as the story goes yeah, on i kind of think that it's like they're humanist socialists and they um and i think they believe in the ideals of communism but they think that the communist party in their yes, time is not how, living up to its own it. ideals and it's just like to be in the party you just have to swallow anything that they throw at you and so they're trying to create like a third path that's still on the left politically but um, versus like the uh, Charles de Gaulle, who's coming to power in France at that time, from his on his like war heroics, is on the right. Yeah, and like a military militarist, and so it's uh, like you definitely. I am like I don't think I would have gotten as much out of this if I didn't have the context of reading a lot of works about this period because yeah, the politics is dense as hell. Well, and even I think that you know more about this period than I do, and so I um. There was times when I was like, what the fuck are we, like, what, what? And then I'd have to, like, do a little bit of Googling or be like, did this really happen in France? What party is this? Like, it was a little bit, um, because it was so dense and so politically charged, I think it would be really hard to read this novel. With no context. With no context. Because even, I feel like I have a decent amount of context and I was still sometimes confused. And you're way more into, like, historical, political kind of fiction than I am. And so... I felt like it was probably a little bit easier for you to grasp at times than me, but someone who came in with nothing would be like, huh? Yeah. I think you lose interest really fast. Yeah. Um, What I liked about the politics in this book is that it starts out with this group of people at the end of the war and they, um, and they want to like, 
create a third path between the right and the left mm-hmm. um, that's still on the left. And, and, and they're all people who like fought and then like on during the resistance during the war, it's like people collaborated all of communists and people on the left who weren't communists. But now that that war is over, you know, how do we interact? Mm-hmm. Um, and they, but they're all people that kind of gets caught up in politics, even though they're actually writers who write novels because they feel like in this day, in this time, Things are so intense, like, we have to try to make a contribution. Mm-hmm. And then in the book, they kind of get disillusioned from that, and they feel like nothing matters. Even the books we're writing, they have no purpose. Um, we can't sit, fix the world. Well, mm-hmm. kind of like that other book we read, that, um, that uh, Mouse, this Mao the Second. It was oh, like, okay. r- terrorists are telling the story now, not writers that are affecting society. C- kind of in that same vein. And then at the end of the book, <clears throat> the main guy kind of loops back around, where it's like, it doesn't matter if what I can do if I'm going to fail again and again and trying to make the world a better place, it's I'm, I'm still better and my life is better Mm -hmm. if I still try. Yeah. Which felt like the creepy thing about books like this in this time, it feels too relevant, more relevant than I wish that it felt. Um, and I think that question of like, things are so terrible and what can one person do to make a difference is very current in our like society. And, um, the decision that even if, it's going to be a disaster. I still have to try it. I think is what every, where we need to be, you mm-hmm. know, even if it's hard. Yeah. Um, so I, I was like, I was like, oh, I feel distraught that this book feels too, the themes current. of this book are too current, you know? Um, um, yeah. Another interesting thing this book looked at um, politically was these, the person writing this, Simone, and the characters, none of them were, um, all of them were outsiders to American culture. And so looking at the, the them looking at oh, American yeah. culture um, was really, really interesting for me, especially when Anne went to America then, too. I thought that that was interesting. Yeah, I marked one passage closer to the beginning of the book um, where they were talking about, like, it was still really close to the end of the war. Mm-hmm. Like, Paris had been liter- liberated, but the war wasn't over yet. Um, and that, And they're talking about the Americans, and they're saying... Uh, now you begin to realize that the Americans are beasts as racist as the Nazis and that they don't give a good goddamn if people go go on dying in concentration camps. And speaking of concentration camps, it seems that they've got a few in Russia that aren't pretty either. And here they shoot the collaborators. Well, and that was interesting because I think that was, it was either directly after or directly before um, a passage where they were talking about the bomb being dropped on Hiroshima. Yeah. And the characters were just like, 160,000 people dead, but for what? Yeah. And so I feel like the, yeah. The, it was interesting. I really like that part of this book. I think the the read on America's actions immediately after the war and on the, the things that created the Cold War is really realistic. Yeah. And things that, like, American media does not talk about n- even now. Yeah. Almost, like, 100 years later, you know? Uh, and so I think that's really powerful. And I, And it is true that, like, Americans were as racist as the Nazis. The Nazis got their ideas from America, uh, <clears throat> from eugenics. So that's an American movement yeah. to like breed out people that are different. And so, um, and I think that like people in fr- France in this book, they're feeling like, oh, suddenly France come out of this war and now we're like a fifth rate nation. We're, we're not, not a world first world power anymore. Anymore, which that is what happened. And um, and then like these people who are, they're not communists, but they believe in the left. 
they find out the news that Russia has huge labor camps mm-hmm. and, and some people are like, well, that's just part of the movement to get towards true communism. This is a step because of how crazy things are right now after the war. So it's allowed. And then other people are like, of course, that's not happening because their need to believe in communism yeah. is so strong. They can't even see it. And then the main characters are like, wow, I can't even um, support Russia anymore. But still between America and Russia, I'd pick Russia, which you never hear about that in the yeah. U.S. ever. And you know? it creates mm-hmm. a divide with the characters for a while between the two main, main, guys, characters, yeah. main guys. It creates a rift, that situation of what... Um, this suddenly this nation that's always been like a first power in the in the world yeah. is stuck between two new first world kind of powers yeah. but they're not as big anymore which is interesting i i read a i was watching someone do a review um of this book who was Canadian and she was like, they should just start doing thinking like us Canadians do and start just being saying we're a middle power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. And, but I was like, that's very true. It, it's like France coming to terms with their now more of a mid level power. Like they're still on the first world stage, but they're not, it's not as well. And you got to think that like, this is like the UN hasn't been formed yet. It's being mm-hmm. formed this time where, France still has a permanent seat on the Security Council in the UN, right? Because all the victors in World War II still have those seats 70 years yeah. later. And so they they do still have like a very strong voice compared but to other countries. Time, but at the time, it yeah. felt like we we're going from being an empire to, to this. this. Yeah. And I, it probably <clears throat> felt really... Uh, it seemed like all the characters found a sense of isolation with it yeah. within their country because they weren't one of those powers. They weren't... Um, the UK that had been like it just they felt very isolated it seemed like yeah because they had been conquered I guess mm-hmm. and that kind of leads into like so all these people they're intellectuals they're all writers and they're wrestling with what's the point of being intellectual in a third rate power yeah um, and is our and then eventually one of the guys is eventually like writing doesn't matter but I can't stop doing it because it's a compulsion but it doesn't matter um, and then kind of coming back around to like no we still have to try like and so we're still going to write novels mm-hmm. about what the world's experiencing right now um, which oh. I think is like the the more optimistic ending of Mal the second like Mal the second it's more like nope literature's out terrorism is in and this book predates that book but it's more like no like literature still has value which I think is where we landed personally yeah well and one of the characters henry he writes a play rather than a novel about what the from the way it sounds when i talked about it it was like very real about what he saw was it about what he saw in portugal or what he saw no it was about a town in france that's what it was where like the people executed all the collaborators yeah and so and but he had that's real i looked that up on wikipedia is it yeah but then it was initial it was like really rejected right after he wrote it because they're like no 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 we don't need that right now we need like fluffy we don't need that you can't publish it we don't need that and so then he kept getting rejections for it and i thought that was really interesting because it was like taking the risk of writing the real story but it wasn't received it didn't want to be heard yeah and i think that's true like even right now is that like if like if you look at tv shows you know like they're not they're not many that are have dark themes right Mm -hmm. Um, but i think it's happening more in writing like i've read more books that are recent that are more dark but I think when it's something visual like a play yeah. or a TV show, people are looking for that escapism, you know. So that was I thought that that was really interesting that um, how the writers kind of grappled that with that and what they kind of did within it. Yeah. 
The other thing I want to talk about was that Anne, the character Anne, is supposed to be Simone herself. And it, mm-hmm. <clears throat> based on a real life affair that she had with Arthur Kessler, Kostler? Kostler, I don't know, <laughs> who I don't know who that is. But in the book, the character Anne goes to America like to do a lecture series and falls in love with this guy, Lewis. And they have like a f- affair where she goes back to America, basically like three summers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's. And it's really because and she hasn't she has an open marriage. So it's not so, like, so it's it's like breaking fine. any. Yeah. yeah. But the weird thing is, is that she has a friend in the book, Paula, who like gets this huge obsession with the main character, Henry. And they've been together for a long time and Henry's trying to break it off. But Paula's just like basically driven to madness by her love of Henry and that she can't see the facts that he wants yeah, to break it off. It was like the beginning then, of like a horror movie. Kind yeah. Of love. And <laughs> then. And becomes like that. Mm-hmm. So she's like a psychoanalyst and she like helps Paula like get help. And then she becomes like this about that affair about Lewis, which is like, that's a really, if it's really meant to be her, the author, that's a very personal thing to share. And then Put the last chapter of the book is like her contemplating killing herself and then deciding that she won't because her husband and her daughter need her. Yep. Is the weirdest ending. Like, and it was her, I feel like her character arc was in a downward spiral like you started off like knowing who she was mm-hmm. confident happy and then it just goes down and then that's supposed to be the author herself you i know? feel like she wrote it that way i feel like when i was reading it i was like is this her catharsis to get mm-hmm. get it out of her yeah. system and move on from it um I don't know. I haven't read. I didn't read her life to see if she at the fair. Like I don't know. Yeah, if it re like came back around or not, kind of thing or what. Um, but I, yeah, it was very interesting. Also, a weird note. Um, I when I was reading about this novel, multiple places I read mentioned that Nadine, which is the daughter, and in her husband's daughter in the novel, is not actually their daughter. Like they didn't have a daughter. Okay, <laughs> and that it is um supposed to be two or three of her husband's mistresses put into one character as his daughter which is so Ugh, that's gross icky, <laughs> but also like if she's writing about his mistresses as like a daughter like because they're so young and the way their relationships work i i'm just like that makes me feel icky yeah it's that's icky that whole character actually was pretty gross because she ends up married to a man much older than her and it's and who knew her when she was a child yeah and that i makes personally it real gross. Yeah. like that uh that whole arc was very triggering for me i just felt like he knew her as a child and they in the first it like they didn't really talk about it that part of it as much as the story went on yeah but in the first couple chapters it was yeah, they've like, been family friends, you know, Family for friends, years I used and... to know you when you'd stand on my feet and dance. And then they have sex. And I just was like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I know at the time that wasn't as taboo as it is now. There wasn't, especially. Um, Thank God for feminism, huh? <laughs> I think to uh, France and like affairs in France. And oh, yeah. The sexual culture is way different. Is even ve- now, was very, right? and I don't, yeah, like was yeah. very different. And so like. I don't think it's as icky. It, that's my westernized view of it. But I was just like, oh, I can't. Your American view of it. Yeah. yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. So that was, I um, thought, very interesting. And then uh, I um, I also felt like this book, it didn't really, while there was that scene at the end where she's contemplating suicide, 
it didn't really have like a climax. No, it's just a book about ideas. Like it, it didn't have a normal like plot structure at all. Mm-hmm. So it yeah. didn't really. Henry's um, character kind of did where he at the, his climax was like he decided to stay in politics. But it's still. But it's still feel, pretty mild. Yeah, yeah, pretty mild. Everything felt um it felt like looking at mundane, albeit like famous ish in their culture, people's lives. Like it wasn't. It didn't have um. Yeah, if the we, classical yeah. story arc where the problem is really prevalent and you see them overcome the problem and then there's a little bit of a, you resolve, know, resolve yeah. and it goes back up and down in those kind of waves. It just was very uh, flat the whole way through almost. And I wonder what we would feel about it if we knew more about these people that these characters are based on because we don't know anything. Yeah. Or, you know. Um, and I didn't, yeah. I didn't hate that. I just, it was a different read because it was hard to read it I think that's partially why after you read for about 40 minutes, you kind of got a little mind numbed because not a ton was happening to keep you in the story. It was just a lot of exposition or a lot of theorizing about politics or that kind of stuff with a little bit of action. Yeah. And so like there wasn't enough to make it so that your brain could like see forward motion. Like I sometimes be reading and I'd be like, has anything happened or are we still in the same room? Yeah. There is a lot of like, he thought to himself. Yeah. She thought to herself. Like, a, a lot of it, because it, basically it alternated between two characters' perspectives, and it was very Whose interesting. Whose perspective very, did you like better? I really alternated, because I read, the, so we read it over such a long period that at first I was like, I like Anne, because Anne and Henry, and I'm like, I like Anne's the best. But then she got so stupid in the affair that I was like, now I like Henry's better. Uh-huh. So it's kind of equal. Yeah. That was my same uh, yeah. opinion arc that happened. Yeah. My strong opinion about this book, I would say, is that um, we always joke that, like, every book on the list is is somehow about communism, you know? And a lot of them really have been. Um, but out of all those books so far, I think this one is the most interesting about communism. I agree. Um, because I th- it's interesting to see, like that like oh we agree with you on some points but not all we're not in it you know and we're not outside of it we're not against it we're next to it and I think that is none of the books have had that I thought it was a really interesting I don't think that this is a book I would like recommend to someone to read yeah um (laughs) because in all honesty if we hadn't have been reading it through the podcast I wouldn't have read it oh me neither um I like I wouldn't have slow and long yeah. yeah it was so slow it was so long Yes, I think it had some really good parts in it in that it um not not good parts. I think it had some really interesting commentary. Yeah. In it um but I just I like my books to have more plot. Yeah, the political science major in me was like in love with it and the rest of me was tired <laughs> of reading yeah. it and it took so long to read. Yeah. So, I mean, it, Oh, it was well written though. Yeah, dense yeah. but well written. I guess I would say this book and Waiting for the Dark, Waiting for the Light. Those are the two best books about communism that we've read. I would put those at the same level. Yeah. Um, did you put Waiting for the Dark, Waiting for the Light on the list? I think we did put it on the list. Okay. But I, our our notebook where we write that down is currently in a box. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we'll tell you next episode when she's unpacked. <laughs> Packed it. Oops. It's fine. <laughs> um, so I guess we should decide if it's going to go on the list. Do we think that uh, the Mandarins... Oh, I also wanted to point out that I said that it was called the Mandarins because of that class in ancient China. And it like, was. And it was. <laughs> um, is, we think that this book is a book that people should read before they die. 
I don't know. One, two, three. No. no. I don't think so either. I th- Yeah, I think it's the politics is interesting, but the way... It's but, too inaccessible. It's not accessible. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Because you have to have so much background knowledge, especially, like, just so much to access it. I just don't think that that... Yeah, it's just it hasn't. It's not really uh, standing the test of time. I feel like because it, it you can't access it now. I'm, yeah, and I wonder or if, an extensive forward which this book doesn't have in the printing yeah. that we bought. And I wonder if um, people in France who are living in France right now, if they wouldn't need that background, like if that's still really prevalent, or even if they might not, they might even still need that background because it's so dense and so. Yeah, like it's, it's hard very, to say. Um, I just felt very dense. Have you ever read, she also wrote a really famous book, The Second Sex. I have not read it, but I've, I've heard of it. I've heard of it, and I've read about it, but I haven't read it. Is it on the list? I don't think so. I don't think this is the only book on there, because that's not a novel. That's like oh. a, a nonfiction book. Um, yeah. But it was hugely influential. That's why I recognized her name when we drew this one. I recognized her name, too, but I... Yeah. Yeah. That probably we'd probably like, because then that would just be like, just the politics, and would need to have a plot. Yeah. Um, so I... I liked it. It wasn't. It wasn't bad. Um, I think we had an interesting discussion about it, but I just don't. Think yeah, it had me. It had me, but it's not recommendable. Yeah, and I mean, I don't feel any worse for having read it. Yeah, I don't. And I think I might hours. even think about it. Like, but it just doesn't. It's just not on the yeah. list for me. Yeah. All right. All so right. moving on to our special segment. What are we talking about today? So, um, this is a little bit of a uh, step aside from our normal It's our review. Yeah. So, we recently saw a really amazing musical that we want to tell you guys about um, that was touring and it was here, but it's on Broadway right now called um, Come From Away. Yes. And we're thinking about doing, occasionally reviewing something within an episode that isn't a book that we just are interested in or talking about something that we're just interested in. And... We loved this play. Yeah, it was so we've had like season tickets to one like theater in our town for like a few years and we've seen a lot of good things, silly all musicals, silly musicals, serious musicals, but this so this it's about um on 9/11 um, when the U.S. airspace was closed, a bunch of flights had to be grounded somewhere. And in Gander, Newfoundland, Canada, there's a huge airport that that's huge because back in the day, planes used to stop there to refuel. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the Mandarins, she talks about stopping there on flying from I Chicago to Paris and Gander. Yeah, um, and so they had this big empty airport, and so like f- almost 40 planes were like, th- like 7,000 people there. were diverted there and were stuck in this like tiny town for almost a week before they. To get to the U.S. Um, and the town, which like all the towns on that like area were like, it was like basically double the size. Mm-hmm. And all these people responded um, and opened their homes and cooked food and provided phones to these like complete strangers from all over the world who were stuck there during this tragedy. Um, uh, and it was just, it was a really beautiful play. I think it's very timely to need to be reminded that sometimes you just have to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And that felt like the whole message of the play. Um, yeah. And the characters from the town in the play, um, and it's all based off of real interviews. So it's yeah. all real things that happened during this. Um, at one point, one of the characters says, you know, 
people keep saying that we we did something really special that we're heroes they want to thank us for all this but all we did was do what had to be done because it's what need somebody needed to do yeah. and i was just like sobbing yeah. you laugh <laughs> you cry that some of my favorite moments were like there was a some of the people who were stuck there uh, it was like a gay couple and they were like trying to keep it a secret because they didn't know how people would react that they were gay and then it, c- it came out kind of accidentally and then people were like oh my cousin is gay my sister is gay and like, I think we're in the gayest town in Canada <laughs> and it was so great oh um, and then there was a, um, a character who's from New York mm-hmm. uh, and at one point the mayor goes and tells him to like just take things from someone's backyard. Yeah, take he, their barbecues because we're going to need to have a barbecue. <laughs> and he's just like, he's walking through the backyards and he's like, I'm going to get shot. I'm going to get shot. I'm in someone's backyard <laughs> and I'm taking their barbecue. And then every person who sees him like calls him inside for tea and helps yeah. him move their barbecue. Yeah, like, it's really adorable. It's just so yeah. good. There's I, also that really beautiful song where like, People were like in the church and the synagogue and a Muslim man, and they were all praying in a song to get like hit together. And it was, ugh, so I good. think that, that the world needs that song on repeat. Like, yeah. it was just so beautiful because what something that happened was that um, the most heart wrenching part of the play, I thought for me, was the people on the planes and uh, on any plane that got diverted on 9 11. They didn't get told what happened until they got let off those planes because everybody who was on a plane on 9-11 that was in the air was viewed as a possible terrorist until their plane was cleared. So the emergency landed all these planes and they were stuck on tarmacs all over the world and specifically in this in Gander for up to like 17 hours. So they'd been on a plane for 36 hours. They didn't know what had happened. And so there's this beautiful scene where everybody gets off the plane and, um, the townspeople are like reflecting on how everybody's frozen. They're like, we didn't realize they wouldn't know. Like, how did we not know they wouldn't yeah. know? And it's just, uh, it was just so beautiful. And I just felt like yeah. sometimes you just need a reminder that the world isn't all as terrible. Yeah. And that people who have no skin in a game can do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And I felt like that play really reminded, like I could cry talking about it. I right know. Now. I feel like emotional <laughs> talking about it. Cause yeah. Cause ev- even when like the worst has happened, people can still be their best. Mm-hmm. It can be the best that they can be. Uh, I love there is a po- one of the main characters was like a pilot and she sang a song about how like she fought to become like the first female pilot in American from American airlines. And then how her, the thing that she loved most in the world had been turned into a bomb um and it's yeah it was just so good and like apparently all those people in real life like gander had like a 10-year anniversary and lots of the people came back to the town and they um the people who were there made so while they were there they kept asking the citizens of gander can we can we do something for you can we do something for you and apparently the mayor just said you know, if you really feel like you need to do something, put a, put a thank you note in our suggestion box. And they opened up the suggestion box and there was like $15,000 inside of it. It was even more than that, I think. Like yeah. thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars because people just kept shoving what they had in like yeah. in hundreds of like monetary like values because mm-hmm. they had people from all over the world and like the town there was make a wish kids who were there and they made a carnival for them because the kids were supposed to go to disneyland and they couldn't god i just love yeah. that play 
Yeah, and then like the veterinarian in the town saves all the animals that are trapped in the in the planes and like gets them out even though she's not supposed to. And like um, they, she finds a monkey that's not even supposed to be on there, and the monkey has a miscarriage. Oh, oh it man. was just so good. And yeah. oh, and let's not forget the part where there was people from Africa that didn't speak English and they were really freaked out because it's, they they oh. at least it's portrayed in the play they were afraid like. The military is taking somewhere because it was people in Red Cross mm-hmm. uniforms. And then the guy is like, oh, she's holding a Bible. And he, their numbering system is the same, even if it's not in English, and looks up the verse, don't be afraid of anything or whatever. Don't uh-huh. be anxious about anything. And then and then they like are, oh, no, we're all – and it's like that's what they share. Oh, God. <laughs> so this good. was so good. And that, that prayer scene, like I could literally replay that in my head forever because it was just the most gorgeous thing. And I think when we're recording this – um. The killings at the Jewish synagogue were just two days ago. Yeah. Um, and I just think that thinking about tolerance and thinking about tolerance with people um, who have a different religion and a different faith from you is so important in today's day and age. And I think that um, there's just no excuse for intolerance. There just isn't. And it was just beautiful because... Um, there were all these people of all these different religions and they all, there was only one church in town and they just went to that church. And no matter what religion you were, they were praying there because something terrible had happened and it was worth praying about. Yeah. And I just think there's something so well, gorgeous. Gives you chills, it's just right? so gorgeous yeah. in that. And I think that, um, I think that it was so nice to be reminded of that. So if you can't see the play, there is also a book that I am going to read because I want to cry again. <laughs> also, there's like clips on YouTube and stuff that yes. you can see some of the songs. Um, what, else, just, what is cool is that every time this play opens anywhere in the world, people, real people from Gander are in the audience the first night, which is which really cool. Is so cool, too. And yeah. um, our version of the play, if you uh, had, um, they, they were doing a collection and their collection was for the ASPCA in Gander because it's struggling to stay afloat. And so there was mo- they were donating yeah. money um, to – oh, not their collection. Their shirts they were selling mm-hmm. that were about the play. And if you bought one, all the money went back to the ASPCA in Gander to keep it alive. Yeah. Which I was just like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. And I feel like it had a lot of themes in it that we talk about a lot on the podcast. Yeah. That is – it's worth seeing if you get a chance for sure. Yes. And – uh I will let you know when I read the book how it is because I have a strong feeling I will cry. So And you love books that make you cry. I You're almost them. crying right now. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I I talked so much about this play in the last two weeks. <laughs> That's good though, right? Like I feel like when people think of musicals, they only think that they're like light and fluffy, but sometimes they're really serious. Like yeah. um the the year that I had tickets that you didn't, um, we saw Fun Home, which is about like a girl um, telling her family that she's gay and like coming to terms with her sexuality, uh, and it yeah. was so powerful, but also really serious, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and then we also saw like a musical version of Rami and Michelle's High School Reunion that was just ridiculous and light. Yeah. And I, I just love that it's a form that you cannot you cannot set limits on what it's it can be. Something you know? from everything, and I think that um, lots of theaters, which I don't think we would have known about unless we were looking for it around the the country, do. Cheaper tickets if you're younger. Right. So this theater has, you can get season tickets for $35 a show if you're 35 or under. So we're just going to do it until we age out. <laughs> yeah. So I would highly suggest 
if you're into theater or anything, look into that because I never would have thought to look for those deals. And now that I know that we get it here, I've noticed that there's other places in our city, like the They're orchestra and stuff like that, that do it. And so it's and they don't cool, really advertise it. They don't to, advertise yeah. it because it's not profitable for them. But <laughs> it's a really but cool it, they, need, they need audiences that aren't all gray haired because yeah. otherwise, where are they going to be in 20 years? You know. <laughs> so, so. Um, that is our little mini review about come from away and how beautiful it was <laughs> okay i'm gonna draw book 34 oh my gosh <laughs> book 34 is remains of the day another kazuma ishikuro book so we just You're did love it so before this a pale view of the hills that was by him and i hated it so much and the other book i read by him i hate it and now i have to read a third book by an author that i think is not good at all i'm so excited <sighs> i liked it have to have an open mind i'm gonna be so suspicious of it though because the other book when there was like was so, so many layers much. of meaning that i'm just like this is gonna be like what i'm just like really waiting for the tense change or like the weird oh, like i'm so excited wikipedia like theory about it uh well i can't i mean there's a thousand books he won an award for this one though i know i think yeah he did i think he won the Nobel prize in literature for it which is pretty crazy so but uh, he that's I just can't believe there's 900 and something books still in the jar, and we drew we drew another book by the same guy, only two books apart. That's crazy. It's just what you always wanted. There's, and there's still another one in there, isn't there? There's three. I think there is. I think it's, is it the one you've already read? I don't know. I can't remember. That what the might third be one too is. recent for this list. I don't know. Ugh. Well, well, we so will book get 34. We'll be back for that. Until then, you can. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at 1001BooksPod or on Litzy at 1001BooksPodcast. You or can also email us at 1001BooksPodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, happy, happy reading. reading.